Tyson takes a tumble after reporting its first quarterly loss in more than 10 years, plus a massive amount of cash on the sidelines. And what does it mean to have a defensive portfolio? Your market moment starts now. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. The hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Welcome to the Market Moment. This is Matt Walters here with Lee Mackey, Eli Freeman. Guys, how are we doing today? Good. Yeah, great. I think Eli's better than anybody. He just got back from the Dominican on like a 10-day trip, 9-day yeah, trip, something like that. Yeah, I ended up being like an 8- or 9-day trip. So I'm extra red on yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Uh, any highlights? You know, I think one of my favorite parts was we went to a place called Cabarete. It's, I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's it's known for its kite surfing. So in the afternoons, while my wife would be tanning, I would be sitting on the beach just watching people and trying to figure out how they were surfing. With There'd be hundreds of people kite surfing, which was just, it was really cool to That's see. That's awesome. They Anybody fly- who knows David Lee, next time you see him, ask him about his kite surfing <laughs> story. It's it's a pretty good one. It, so. If it involves David and anything to do with surfing, I'm sure it's funny. Yeah. But hey, absolutely. I mean... Summer has arrived in Northwest Arkansas, at least for this week. It's and this weekend was hot. It was it was hot, muggy. Um, yeah, you, you, you decided to wait till it was ninety five degrees to take your family to the the zoo in Tulsa. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> what what sounds good? Let's go walk around on asphalt all day. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's ninety five and humid, and but we had a good time. It was good. a good weekend. So good. So stocks slipped a little to start the week, but one stock getting hit hard right now is Arkansas based Tyson Foods. Tyson reported a second quarter loss. It's first quarterly loss since t- 2009 and cut its full year revenue forecast. Shares were initially down 12%. I was just looking at this. They're down 16% on the day right now. Average sales price for beef fell 5.4. Sales price for pork fell a little over 10. Um, shrinking cattle herds forcing Tyson to pay more for livestock um, due to drought, cost of uh, livestock feed, and inflation may have caused consumers to spend less on meat. So guys, this is one that hits hits our backyard right here in uh right down the road in Springdale. So any thoughts on kind of what's going on with Tyson and is it Tyson specific or is this maybe a broader trend that we're going to start to You know, I think I, I'm not surprised. I think this is still one of those long lingering effects from COVID um that the the price of I and I'd heard several things from a couple um contacts that the price of feed was up, the number of cattle were down. Um, and you know, you can only pass cost along so much to the consumer before you, it starts eating into your own margins. And so, um, I had heard that Tyson was going to, at some point, feel the effects of, of all of these factors. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I've got to believe that they're not going to be the only ones. Um, they may be one of the worst ones, but Mm -hmm. I've got to believe that it'll hit pretty much the whole sector. Yeah. Well, and 
this may be on an extreme example, but as people's budgets are starting to be tightened, like that last point that, that you said, inflation may have caused consumers to spend less on meat. Once people are starting to be tightened, they're going to try and find the cheapest meat or the cheapest product that they can find to Absolutely. try and bring their budget back into check. So that that could be another lingering, kind of like what you're saying, lingering effect of, of COVID because of the rising interest rates, rising prices, people are starting to be stretched on their on their budgets. You know, it, just me, but when I think of Tyson, I don't immediately think of beef and pork. You know, I think of chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are also a major player in both of those other um, areas as well. But when I was reading through this, it, it we didn't talk about the chicken prices and, and if they fell, but um, or their their margin so forth fell. But I do find it interesting that you know the beef and pork really has hurt their business mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, this is interesting. So I was looking at Tyson gross profit. This goes back to first quarter 2021. So I'm going to r- rattle off some numbers here. This is in the billions of quarterly gross profit. So 1.2, 1.6, 2.47, 2, 1.73, 1.6, 1.3, and they're now at 968 million. So you can see going back uh, almost two years, they're at 1.2 billion of gross profit. That trended up, doubling over the next several quarters up to two and a half billion. Mm-hmm. And then it's been a slowly, a slow kind of steady decline down to the 968 million they and saw this last quarter. When was was the peak during COVID? The peak would would have been third quarter, um, second quarter of 2021. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was mm-hmm. the peak kind of, you know, everybody was probably a lot more willing to hey, let's have steaks tonight, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was all of it, <laughs> but I mean, that definitely probably contributed. Um, well, you think about it too, everybody was eating at home, mm-hmm. and nobody was going out, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think that all. I wish I would have pulled these up earlier. I could have dug into them a little bit more. But um, it is interesting, and this is impactful for everybody here locally, right, if Tyson kind of hits a hits a period here that starts to struggle a little bit. Um, but I think this is an example. This is obviously very specific to um, livestock, food, you know, the meat industry. But I think it's a trend that you could see in different ways uh, across the board, right, with people who either um, – stocked up on too much inventory and now they're needing to sell it at a discount right and so their profit might start to trend back down in a pretty quick way or it's people who you know for whatever reason different industries are going to be hit for different reasons but um i think you know over the next year or two will be interesting to see we saw such a unique period and crammed into such a short time time period how do companies manage the back end of that Mm -hmm. coming out of it i'm speculating a little bit but you wonder if they saw some of this coming, they being Tyson, you know, because they've had several factories or, or you know, facilities that are closing. The, yeah. most, the closest one to us is in Van Buren that is laying off close to a thousand That's people. A yeah. So, you you know, you know, one way you try to make up for that shortfall in profits is, you know, reduce expenses. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if we continue to see more of this, you know, obviously nobody likes to see a forecasting for the next year of a, a slowdown, but mm-hmm. You know, if you if your management, you're looking for ways to to tighten things up a little bit, and unfortunately, it affects people. Yeah. For for summary, the price today goes back to they basically reset all the way back to I think like 2015. Oh wow! Is the last time that the Tyson stock was about the 52 dollars that it is today. Hmm. So a, a huge reset going back eight years. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So um, we'll definitely be keeping our eye on that, and any updated news will be. 
um, tying into future conversations here is for sure. So another topic for the day, a record, a record amount of cash on the sidelines. According to Bank of America, money market fund assets have ballooned to $5.3 trillion. So inflow surged by $588 billion over the last 10 weeks. That surge came during the regional banking crisis, which saw three banks with a combined $550 billion in assets collapse. The surge eclipsed the $500 billion of inflows after the Lehman Brothers collapse. High yield savings rates exceed 4% at many banks. Mm-hmm. So a lot of cash on the sidelines. So I think there's, there's quite a few different ways you could make a positive out of that, right? Plenty of cash out there. A lot of people have cash. People are in still pretty good spot. I saw, I was listening to a podcast earlier and they were talking about how, how much spending has increased, but why, how debt has not increased at the same rate. And it's people, and it's showing that, you know, people's income has increased mm-hmm. a lot over the last couple of years and has somewhat kept up with the spending levels and the, the increasing cost of goods. And so anyways, initial thoughts on this increase in money market funds and every, with everything that's been going on in the banking world. You know, here are my takeaways and Eli, I'd be interested to know yours. One, I think, I think this balloon in money market deposits is, you know, maybe more because of the great interest rate that they can get now rather than, oh, I'm worried about banks. Um, You know, it's also encouraging that, you know, once it feels, you know, once we stabilize the stock market, there's a lot of money on the sidelines. We know that you're not going to be able to get 4% uh, savings rates for a long time. You know, at some point, those rates will begin to come down. People will be looking for a place to put that money again. They will more than likely go back into the stock market at some point. So, I mean, I I don't take this as all bad news. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people are saying, hey, I can get 4% on liquid money, Mm -hmm. safe money. I'll do it for now. I think there's many different factors that can lead into those huge numbers in the money market funds. You think of different ways that people might currently be sitting on cash. People could have done tax loss harvesting on their bonds and didn't want to re-enter the bond market till they felt like the Federal Reserve was done raising rates. Or people could have sold stock and are waiting, just like you said, Lee, to go back into the market, trying to find a place that their money's liquid, yet can make some money. And money market funds, now you're looking at 4 to 5% by putting your money sure. into, and it's fully liquid. It's a it's a slam dunk if you think, I'm going to deploy some money at some point in the future. It's close, but I want to get some, some yield on my money while, while I wait. And I know for a long time, you know, there was no – I had become kind of victim to just, like, leaving a bunch of money in checking because it didn't matter if it was in checking or savings. Like, none of it was making anything, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think now a lot of people are starting to probably get back to the, the um, you know, the good practices of – cash that I'm going to have on the sidelines for any period of time, like I'm going to go put it in a money market mm-hmm. or put it in a high yield savings. I'm not going to just leave it in my checking account because mm-hmm. I can make some some interest on of it, on on it. So I think that's great. I think um, that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. I think rates will, you know, I think rates will stay high for a little bit. And so people will probably kind of keep chasing that yield for a while. And, um, and then you'll probably see a flood into as rates start to decline or they start to give some hint of decline, people, you know, I would imagine would start racing to try to lock that in for a mm-hmm. longer period of time, sure. right? And so you might see a see a rush into some longer dura- duration, you know, uh, treasuries or fixed income products. And so some of that money might leave. Matt, you, you and I have talked about this before, but I think it's important for our listeners to also hear this is 
if you are going out and you're shopping rates, at some point you just have to land on a place that right. you're happy with. Right. My advice to most of clients is is just get somewhere where you're getting some yield. It, the important thing is not getting 4.25 versus 4.35 because most of these rates, especially on money market accounts, they're going to fluctuate sure. fairly quickly, maybe weekly, monthly. They're, they're constantly changing. Make it somewhere that you trust, somewhere that is easily accessible, and be happy with earning some yield. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't try to chase every basis point, right? right? I mean, go get a right. good competitive yield and, and stick with it. You know, when you were talking, Eli, it's kind of like on the mortgage side. You know, yeah. <clears throat> when you're when you're looking for rates to lock in on a 30-year or 15-year mortgage, you know, if you lock in at three and a quarter, you know what? Two days from now, it could be at 3.2. Be happy with it. Move on. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that you've got a great rate. But yeah, I, I think that's one thing that we're offering, <clears throat> or we talk to a lot of our clients about, is finding someplace. If it's okay to keep cash on hand, mm-hmm. let's let's have that working for you while you're waiting for for something else mm-hmm. rather than just having it like you said sitting in your checking account earning next to nothing still right yep um so final final topic for the day warren buffett had quite a few things to say i know you guys tuned in to quite a bit of the berkshire um, annual meeting over the weekend mm-hmm. um he had quite a few few things to say as, as did his 99 year old right hand man charlie munger as part of the annual berkshire hathaway shareholders meeting Buffett believes the dollar will remain the reserve currency even if the U.S. dollar default. Even if the U.S. defaults, that's been a hot topic. Something yeah. we've talked mm-hmm. about lately. Buffett and Munger say Elon Musk achieved success by going for the extremes, but Munger says Musk overestimates himself. When Buffett said they don't want to compete with Musk, Munger added, "We don't want that much failure." <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Munger says some of some have taken diversification too far by investing in things they don't understand. He calls this de-worstification. And so it, I think there are a couple points here. I think they're absolutely right on Musk, right? I mean, he, he's he gone for it a few times and hit home runs, and I think he's both brilliant and crazy all at mm-hmm. the exact same time. And um, the way that a Charlie Munger thinks is polar opposite than the way of a sure. Elon Musk mm-hmm. and how he thinks. When Warren Buffett, when he talked about Elon Musk, he said, yeah, he went for some crazy risks, but he's good at it. Yeah. And that's kind of what he said was he's he's taking extreme risk that we won't ever take, but he's one of the best people at, at taking it. So by by all means go for it. Yeah. Well you mentioned home run a second ago and I went, as we were talking about this, I was thinking about baseball. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but you know, <clears throat> Buffett is your guy that's gonna get up and hit singles and doubles. His batting average is gonna be pretty high. you know, and Elon Musk is the home run hitter that Strikes yeah, out. Strikes mm-hmm. out, you know, 80% of the time. But the two times he makes contact, he, you know, hits it over the mm-hmm. outfield bleachers. So, you know, some people like, you know, Buffett. Some people lean towards Musk. Um, you know, we were talking at the very beginning, and we mentioned defensive stocks um, in the introduction. You know, that's what Buffett is all about. He has been that way, you know, for 70 years or so. You know, nothing's going to change now. I mean, Warren Buffett is a – defensive value investor 365 days a year it doesn't matter the economy it doesn't matter that growth has been in favor you know for 10 plus years Buffett does what Buffett's going to do and you know largely he's been been right in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways now and I think he would be his own worst critic in that he has made some mistakes He he has made bets that didn't quite pan off um 
But I mean, he's he is a defensive investor, and we've talked about that at times on the podcast. You know, we are defensive right now. We we buy, you know, we're investing in companies that are defensive in nature, um, and so you know, Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio, you know, ha- has done well in this in this time that growth has underperformed. Yeah, and I I definitely agree with what Munger was talking about in the diversification piece. It's something we've talked about that I think. You know, the the whole passive investing indexing approach has gotten so popular for so long. Um, and again, that's it's not wrong, right? It's not mm-hmm. a bad approach. It's not the wrong approach. It can make sense for a lot of people. But I do think you are taking the shotgun style approach and saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm probably investing in 90% of companies that know nothing about, don't believe in, and never would use their product. Mm-hmm. Um, when... I think there's a good argument if you're if you're an investor yourself and do the research or you work with a good advisor of like why wouldn't we go try to find the 10% that we really do like and do believe in and just invest in those and you look at research and stock portfolios and models and all of these you know strategy kind of data that says like after I think the last time I looked at it, it was like after like 30 to 35 companies like the benefit of diversification doesn't like stop but it starts to trend down mm-hmm. right and so um I think that's their approach, right? They go take very large, concentrated positions in companies that they know, they believe in, they want to be a part of managing on an ongoing basis. And like you said, Lee, I mean, they've done well for yeah. a long time. I mean, and and their their goal is not, I think this is a good thing, good kind of topic is they've done well relative to what their goal has been. Sure. Right? It's, goal, it's like goals-based investing. Like their goal is not to go – invest in a stock and see it 10x over the next five years and then sell it. Like, I mean, if that happens, great. But like they want to invest in a company, own it forever and see it continually compound and spit off dividends and a bunch of cash every year that they own it. And so for what they do and their what their goals are, I think they do a really good job. And um, me and Eli were just talking about, you know, trying to get up there maybe before. I mean, these guys are getting old, right? Sure. And mm-hmm. so who knows how much longer they'll both be around. And so hopefully we can get up there and, and check out their conference here. One interesting thing that they talked about in just, I was in the airport watching in between my flights. So I, I, I was the crazy guy that was laughing at his phone while Warren made fun of, of Munger and Munger picked on Warren. But they both gave their short to long-term-ish outlooks. And Munger, you, the pessimist that you, yeah. you hear, Munger was saying, I don't think there's much opportunity moving forward and and warren goes people have been telling us that for the last 50 years yeah and and warren kind of just was the opposite saying there's plenty of opportunity in different sectors just not all sectors yeah he said it's still out there nothing has changed if you're doing a good job and you're investing well you can find a good investment you know and they really over the last 10 15 years they have really diversified their portfolio out from what it was its bread and butter used to be um, and I didn't realize this, but did you know that they own 20% of Apple? They are the single largest shareholder of Apple stock, but they own 20% of that company, Berkshire wow. Hathaway. So, um, and yeah, I thought that was interesting. And they remain like incredibly bullish on Oh, absolutely. Apple. I mean, I mean you he, hear Warren talk about Apple. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, best run company, best run company in the globe. Yeah. yeah. In the world. And, um, and so it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people would look at Apple and maybe be like, well, that opportunity is maybe come and gone from a explosive growth perspective. But you got Warren Buffett sitting here. He's been doing it for 60 years. And he's like, you know, uh, still believes him. You know, and one of the things I, you mentioned. I trust my neighbor. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned at the beginning was, you know, what does it mean to have a defensive portfolio? You know, there's not many people out there that would think of Apple as a defensive stock. But to go to what you just said, Matt, you know, Apple's probably done with the explosive, you know, growth. But that's exactly probably why Buffett likes them is because they're not having the well, this is going to be the great year for the iPhone, and right. then something else is going to, you know, knock it out of the park. They're just consistently doing the same thing year after year after year. You know, they're sitting on more cash than, you know, most, most countries or, or mm. countries <laughs> yeah. in the world. Um, so, you know, I think Apple probably fits really well with with their overall Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, good conversation today. Um, well, there's a lot more we could get into in the Berkshire conversation annual shareholders meeting, but we're going to keep it short for today. Any final parting words of wisdom or thoughts? Yeah. If, if you are an investing nerd and, and like listening to things like this, you will love listening to the Berkshire conversation. Now it's four hours long, so don't, don't plan to do it in one sitting, yeah. but go on YouTube. There's summaries of it. If you want mm-hmm. to do short, short summaries, but go and go and watch it. It's a ton of fun. What I thought was neat is, you know, they took questions from the audience and they took questions from people that would call in or mm-hmm. email in, you know, and I saw a couple questions asked from the audience and there was this kid that was, I think 15. And he said that this was his seventh shareholder meeting to attend so I was like, man, he's been attending these, these since he was eight years old. And, I, you know, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, I, I, I told my wife as we were, as we had it on on Saturday, I was like, I think watching this or listening to the shareholder meeting should be a requirement of every finance major mm-hmm. in college. Oh, yeah. Because it is literally finance 101. He does not talk about complex topics. I mean, it is straight out of a college course. Yeah. No, it's super entertaining, super educational. For sure. Um, so if you haven't, if you've never watched it, go back. It just came out this past weekend, so um, it'd be a great one to go listen to. So as always, we want to end with the thought of the day, and fittingly, we want to use a Warren Buffett quote. So um, Warren said, "You should write your obituary and then try to figure out how to live up to it." I think he said that just this past weekend. He did. Didn't he? Wise yeah. words. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, as always, we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Rogers, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Third-party ratings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss, including the loss of principal. Actual account results may have been higher or lower than the results mentioned, depending on an individual's investment timing, cash movement, size of the account, and client restriction. Past performance is not indicative of future results. For full disclosures, please see mock-onefinancial.com disclosures.